Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zielinski. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end-time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Friday, October 9th, 2015 edition Thank you so much for tuning into the program today. I broadcast 6 p.m. Eastern weekdays and on Saturday at 11 p.m. Eastern time on Worldwide Christian Radio, WINB, and all that information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com on the Radio Archives tab. So do check that out. And all the shows are archived there as well. And if you have not signed up to the podcast, do so by clicking on that big pink automatic button, and that'll take you right to the podcast as well. Don't forget, grab the app. The app is available in the App Store, so for any smart device, you can also download the Sheila Zielinski app. And finally, if you have not got a copy of my book, Green Gospel, do get it. As Timothy Ball, renowned climatologist, says, Sheila Zielinski's book effectively demolishes most of what you think you know I cannot stress how important this book is. I'm getting a lot of feedback on people are absolutely stunned at the information I present in this book. So if you haven't got it, do get it. And it is available on ebook for those people that like that format as well. And I want to jump right into the show today. Now, just to let people know, this show is pre-recorded early this morning and we did have Skype issues. I'm not sure on whose end it was. And I've wanted to have this woman on for a long time. There's a few little Skype issues, but bear with me because it is a very incredible interview with one of the women who I've wanted to have on for quite a long time. I've been a big fan of her work, incredibly brilliant woman, and uh, do take a listen to this show. Folks, I am super excited to have a brilliant woman on my show who is speaking out my kind of gal. It's Chris Ann Hall. She's the highly acclaimed attorney, former prosecutor, and disabled army veteran who travels the country teaching the Constitution and the history that gave us our founding documents. Chris Ann is a brilliant author and she connects dots that I don't think anyone else can. Chris Ann Hall, welcome to the program. It is such a pleasure to have you on for the first time. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure to be here. Well, one of the things I really like about you, Chris, is that you love God, you love your country, and you love liberty just about as much. And it really shows and reflects in your work. You're very uniquely passionate. You teach about the Constitution, which is being eviscerated daily. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you do is you really frame it through the lens of liberty. And I want you to start off by telling people, why was America so great, Chris? America, well, and I still believe that America is great, but it was established from time-tested blood-bought principles. 
principles of history, proven throughout history, and a singular focus in the minds of our framers, a focus on liberty. This understanding, as Thomas Jefferson said, that um, the God that gave us life gave us liberty, and how can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we remove their only firm foundation, the conviction that liberty is a gift from God? And believing that he is the giver of our rights helps us understand that it's not something that comes from government. We see, we have to understand that our framers for 700 years knew nothing but kingdoms and kings. And when you live in a kingdom, you have no privileges unless the king says so. So you wake up every day and you have a privilege tomorrow you may not have because the king has changed his mind. And our framers understood uh, finally uh, after 700 years of battling with kings, that number one, kings only keep promises as long as you hold a sword at their throat, and that when people start looking to government to be their provider, uh, they become subjects. And so the only way, as our, our Constitution says, to preserve the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity is what the goal of our framers uh, was to not redo the kingdom, but have a constitutional republic where uh, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But when any form of government operates contrary to those uh, principles, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish them. Not democracy under modern interpretation of mob rule, but understanding that uh, all the rights in the universe belong to the people, that power emanates from rights, and that only through equal representation, laws made by representatives, can there be liberty secured for future generations? Someday when the historians are sifting through the ashes of what once was the free West trying to assess what happened, what are they going to say? What about the next generation of children that asks, when did America become a third world country? How did we allow this is a better question. I mean, why can't they find the answers in their common core textbooks of the future? What are we going to tell our children about the time that America officially became a third world country overrun by a tyrant? I mean, how do we go from such incredible sovereignty, constitutional liberties, freedoms, I mean, the American way to morphing into a fascist dictatorship within just a, I mean, how does that happen, Chris? Well, you know, it always happens over slow degrees, and it's not. this is not a brave new world. We are not forging new grounds of tyranny and destroying a liberty that no one ever possessed. The history of our Constitution is so vital in this understanding, and unfortunately, we don't teach it anymore. But the truth of the matter is that uh, the Anglo-Saxon history of our Constitution, being that our framers were Anglo-Saxon in nature, uh, in history and, and in legal foundation, uh, shows that they even started off in 1014 with limited government. They started off with uh, an agreement with a king that the king's only power would be to represent the people in foreign affairs, but would leave the people alone to govern themselves in their own uh, small communities. But, you know, if you start calling somebody king, we shouldn't be surprised when he starts acting like one. And when people start looking, like I said, to government as their provider, they always become subjects. 
And so there are certain truths that we see throughout history. One of the truths is, is that liberty always brings prosperity. That's why you'll never see uh, prosperity in socialism or communism, because there's no liberty in them. So liberty always brings prosperity. But a product of prosperity, the unfortunate product of prosperity, is that people become pacified. They become lazy in luxury. They can become complacent and compliant within their comfort. And our framers knew that was coming. And they had hoped by creating a constitutional republic, uh, having visible barriers of government and putting the power within the people in their elective body to control government, that they would be able to secure this liberty longer than their forefathers did. And so when the, the colonial woman asks Benjamin Franklin, what kind of government did you give us? And he says a constitutional republic, if you can keep it, is based on historical fact. And so what we simply are doing here is, is repeating the ills of history because we don't teach it. And those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. That's exactly what we're doing. And it's why I travel around the country and teach. It's why I write books. It's why I have a radio show. It's why I have videos. It's why I do everything that I do. And there are many people who are also from different angles doing the same thing because education is the key. And Sheila, it may not be possible for us to prevent the oncoming onslaught of tyranny. But we have a responsibility to our posterity to do everything that we can to stop it. But not only that, to lay a foundational groundwork for that posterity to have truth in their access so that when it becomes time for them to fight, they will know what to fight for. See, people always ask me, Sheila, will we ever do this? You know, I mean, is it too late is the question. And my, right. my answer is it's never too late because history always dictates that we will stand. Right. And the only question remains is when will we and who will that be? Will, will it be us or will we condemn upon our children to buy back a liberty that we were supposed to give to them? Well, you know, that's a really good question because, I mean, what is the tipping point for the citizenry, Chris? Because, I mean, we've got Caligula-level craziness here. Terrorists have more control. (laughs) They've got more territory, more weapons, more money than they've ever had. We, the people, are unilaterally disarming against the enemy. We've become isolated, abandoning our allies. Look at our border situation. We're leaving big chunks of the world open for these subhuman barbarian ISIS to get even stronger. Our military is so badly degraded while the enemy's on the rise. And like, let's take a macro view here. We have fewer combat-ready soldiers since before World War One. We're abandoning our borders completely. No one in government supports securing our borders. You know, Trump is talking about it, but I'm get real. So if you now support a secure border. You know, you're a racist. If you don't like Latinos, oh, you must be a Tea Party. Or, oh, Obama won't act. Congress won't act. Nobody's acting. And then throw in the mix, we've got the TPP, the Second Amendment, UN Global Gun Grab, and Global Police Force. I mean, this is all complete insanity unfolding, isn't it? Well, yes, but it's not new. I mean, this is the same old plan. We, the people, are not learning from our history, right. but government is. Let me have a little uh, grace to tell you a little story. In uh, 1066, in the Kingdom of England, a king by the name of Edward the Confessor was about to die. 
Now he had no sons to take his throne, so his cousin was heir to the throne, and his cousin's name is William I. Now the Anglo-Saxons didn't want William I to be king. Uh, because Anglo uh, because William I was not Anglo-Saxon, he was Norman, and Norman kings rule differently than Anglo-Saxon kings. They have unlimited power, where theoretically and by law, an Anglo-Saxon king is limited in his power. So they opposed the natural ascension of William I to the throne. Long story short, the Battle of Hastings, William wins, he becomes king. Now William wants to be uh, a ruler over the Kingdom of England in the same way that he would rule a Norman kingdom, unlimited in power. But he's just conquered these people to become king. So he realizes that if he goes about changing their law and the means of government, he is guaranteed a rebellion and they're going to chop off his head. So instead of simply stepping up and issuing a decree by law that this is now, we will now rule as Normans and not as Anglo-Saxons, he decides, and, and this is, uh, and I'm not making this up, he decides that it would be better to fundamentally transformed the kingdom in such a way, Norman law, without the people recognizing it. Now, the limitation to the Anglo-Saxon law is their law of the land, the common law, which is the supreme law of the land. It tells the king there are some things you can and cannot do. It is the limiting factor on the king. So instead of stepping up and simply abolishing or replacing the common law, in one fell swoop. William starts replacing the judges in the common law system with judges who are not loyal to the common law, but loyal to the ideology of the king. He starts then to use these uh, judges to corrupt the court system in such a way they now apply his foreign law on the, on the kingdom of England, even when it's contrary to their common law. He uses the law, this foreign law, he uses the corruption of the courts, and he uses the force of government to start chasing the landowners off of their land, removing them for legal excuse and even for force and taking them through inheritance tax and all this other stuff, literally chasing some of them completely out of the kingdom. And when you live in a kingdom and land is abandoned, the, the ownership of that land reverts back to the king. So William is now in possession of all this land that he has created through forced abandonment. And he starts now inviting all of his foreign friends over to live in the kingdom and starts populating the kingdom with all these foreigners who like the law of the king better than the law of the kingdom. He starts replacing the leadership in the churches with men who are not loyal to the word of God, but loyal to the ideology of the king. So now William can use these churches to manipulate the people and convince the people to do things, even when they're contrary to the word of God, and to convince the people to be in submission to the king, even when he's being tyrannical. Now, now tell me, that's not the exact same thing that's going on right now. Well, it's absolutely. I mean, fundamentally transforming. Fundamental transformation, Chris, is changing the ideology of the people, really. Right. And, and what we have to recognize is that if we had been teaching this history, right, instead of teaching the revision, neglecting it to teach it all together, we would have recognized what government has been doing for the last 100 years, a, a long time ago. But we don't teach this, so we are doomed to repeat our mistakes. Meanwhile, government knows this history, right? So you ask me, when will it be bad enough? Well, it'll be bad enough when people lose enough comfort because government has figured out that you can 
do anything you want to the people. You can deprive them of just about anything you want as long as you can keep your people focused on stuff and then you can just trickle down just enough stuff to keep them happy slaves. But you see, history also dictates that these tyrannical governments get power drunk and they start doing, they start believing they can do anything to the people and the people will never push back. So what then happens is that the uh, government creates some kind of fundamental error and pushes people beyond the end and then they stand up. It's Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence, uh, men will always suffer evil while evil is sufferable. So as long as we have enough stuff and enough comfort, we're willing to go along with the evil that goes with it. I mean, look at our the trend of our voting process for the yeah. last 50 years is the voting of the lesser two evils, right? So we're willing to accept evil in government as long as we have enough comfort. We just have to come to the conclusion that we are on a long train of abuses and decide when to pull the brakes. Well, and in addition to a long train of abuses, you know, remember one of the first things William did there was the whole common law system. You fire out the current judges and you put in the loyalist judges. And that's really what's happening with Obama. I mean, he's replaced Congress and top level advisors with his loyalist cronies, hasn't he? Well, yeah, absolutely. But this has been something that's been going on a lot longer than Obama. Changing out the person in the White House is not going to fix any problems that we have. We have activist judges on the bench right now. I mean, who put Roberts on the bench? And he's the one that has done a great deal of destruction to the Constitution. And so not only that, but remembering that Congress has the ultimate power to control the president constitutionally. The House of Representatives alone has the power of the purse, which means a simple majority in the House of Representatives without the Senate, and the president has no legal veto power, um, to the House of Representatives alone could defund everything that Obama's doing. They could defund amnesty, they could defund the ATF, they could defund all these massive ammunition hordes, they could defund the EPA and all of their Ill illegal and unscientific uh, regulations that are destroying our businesses and people's lives. They could do all of that tomorrow morning if they wanted to with a simple majority in the House. Absolutely. Well, I guess the bottom line here is this guy has done more to damage our constitutional system than Nixon ever dreamed of even. Really, I can think of about 30 impeachable offenses by this commander in chief. But hey, we're not allowed to talk about it. I mean, we're in a complete post constitutional crisis, though. The appointments clause is under attack, the commerce clause is under attack, the First Amendment, the Second, the Fourth, the Fifth, the Ninth, the Tenth, the Treaty Clause. I mean, when you have a president, though, Chris, who's conducting himself as a despot, what do you do with that? I mean, especially when these so-called civil libertarians out there saying not one word, the phony fraud liberals and the journalist, crickets chirping. Well, the understanding is what we do is we control them via Congress, and if we can't control them via Congress, we control them through our states. On my radio show, I uh, have been, in the last uh, week or so, been discussing the building blocks that have been put in place for the last, really, the last five years. And you talk about the First Amendment being under attack. The First Amendment has already been attacked. Yeah. In 2012, our Congress passed a law called the Federal Buildings and Grounds Improvement Act, in which they made our First Amendment a federal offense. Right. It, was, it was passed unanimously by the Senate, 
and only three Republicans in the House voted against it. Only three. And what happens is, is now the federal government, via unconstitutional congressional act, has created a new standard for our freedom of speech and our right to peaceably assemble. And the standard is, you are free to speak, you are free to assemble. As long as it does not interfere with our ordinary conduct of government business. And the minute you interfere with the ordinary course of our government business, we have the authority to arrest you and charge you with a federal offense. And oh, by the way, if you happen to live in a state where you can carry a sidearm, if you're carrying a sidearm at the time that you disrupt the orderly conduct of government through your speech or your assembly, you are now suffering a mandatory minimum of 10 years in federal prison. And that's it. All you have to do is disagree with someone at a town hall meeting and the federal government has given themselves the authority to arrest you and take you off the scene and charge you with federal crimes. And let's fast forward now to this incredible, this is so stunning. Let's talk a little bit, Chris, about this UN global police force, because we really sort of do see a trend leading up to that. But what I have a really hard time with is when you see the Constitution, you know, keeps getting dealt another blow, you know, whether it's environmental protection, it's Agenda 21, it's the TPP, trampling of our rights, it's all a culmination. And you just mentioned these big building blocks. They really have been putting building blocks in place really for a long time, though, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we have if you want to go back to the very beginning, we have in 1803 a Supreme Court opinion of Marbury versus Madison, which future courts have used to determine that the con- that the Supreme Court has the power to determine the federal government's power. They are the ultimate arbiter of of the whole universe, uh, empowering themselves beyond every comprehension of our framers. And then we have this standard being again created by the court that the federal government can trump any one of your rights as long as they establish in the court that they have a compelling governmental interest. Yeah. So they have a compelling governmental interest in your national security, then they can trump any one of your rights in order to keep you safe. And from there, it just sort of snowballs. You know, you even get into the issues of George Bush and the Patriot Act, which was just a huge affront on liberty. Yes. And then you have the expansion of that through the NDAA, indefinite detention provisions, uh, then you have uh, everything now that is happening with with all of these national security programs that are, are the federal government is reading our emails and watching our internet traffic, and they admitted to the Wall Street Journal in a, in a Freedom of Information request, the Department of Justice admitted that they have been photographing our license plates and the drivers and the passengers of our vehicles and storing them up since 2008. I mean, seriously, Sheila, if you went to your next-door neighbor and told your next-door neighbor in 2008, hey, did you know that the federal government is taking pictures of our license plates and the people in our cars and storing that up and tracking us? If you said that to your neighbor in 2008, Sheila, what would they tell you? They would tell you that you're a raving lunatic, undoubtedly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they tell you you're crazy, right? Exactly, you're, oh, you're crazy. that's just conspiracy theory. That's not real. You got to stop listening to those people. But now we have the Department of Justice admitting that they're doing that. 
It makes you just wonder, doesn't it? If they admit that they've been doing that for the last seven years, what are they doing today that they won't admit to? Well, they've got the real ID now. They've got this nightmarish biometrics that would make Minority Report look like child's play. And yet, you know, what's interesting is this Big Brother is really, they're really ramping things up with all this biometric data mining. We're being hacked, tracked and attacked. We're watched on our smart TVs. I mean, it is a frightening scenario what's going on. And then you throw in the mix. It's just like this whole NSA spying you know, I was going to tell you a joke, Chris, but I have a feeling the NSA has heard it before. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, whatever happened to even basic fundamental rights? Let's get into this UN global police force, for example, because yeah. even I mean, we are morphing in to the biggest draconian police state on the planet. That is frightening, isn't it? Well, it is. And what government has figured out over the centuries is that a crisis always creates an opportunity. And if you create a crisis, then you can create your own opportunities. And we are now uh, ruling by fiat fear instead of ruling uh, the people ruling based on liberty. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the big deal, because I, I believe, and I don't, I don't think that anybody can dispute this to, to be true, is that... Uh, the entire source of all our problems lies in in our ignorance. Samuel Adams said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. He said, but to the contrary, when a people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. And Sheila, for decades now, we have been putting the government in control of our education. Yeah. And if we think about that from a critical thinking perspective. What government in its right mind would voluntarily teach its generations of people that government is limited in its power and that the people have the power to control government? They're not going to do that. They're going to raise up generations of people to believe that government knows best, that government is the provider, government is the uh, protector, and that all you have to do is just sit back in your comfort and your luxury and wait for government to do this for you. Yeah. Which now, because we're in the midst of all these global terrorist crises that are in our faces every single day through selective media, breeds this idea of fear, which is a greater dependency upon government. And so now we're sitting back waiting for government to come and fix it. Now, we understand that our resources are limited on the local level. So why not bring the federal government in, which has this perceived unlimited pool of resources, right? Because we can actually borrow $8 trillion a year from the Chinese. Uh, and so we have this unlimited pool of resources in the federal government. So let's invite our federal government in to help our local law enforcement on a limited capacity, right? I mean, we're not going to let the military come in and march down our streets for sure, but our local law enforcement, they deserve to be safe too. So let's just take advantage of these offers that the federal government is, is, is making, making available to us to have this equipment and this training and who would turn down this kind of free stuff? And what the people don't realize is every time their local law enforcement takes something from the federal government, that local law enforcement signs a document of mutual jurisdiction. It's a mutual jurisdiction agreement which says that the federal government now has a mutual shared jurisdiction in your local government 
and they can come in and enforce any law in any way at any time they feel fit without the permission of your local government. Well, nobody cares about that as long as they're safe, right? This uh, new program, the, the Global Police Force Initiative, well, well they, don't, they don't call it that. They call it the Strong Cities Network because right. you know, we got to make these things sound really nice. If they called it a Global Police Force Initiative, the people would be losing <laughs> their stinking minds. Right, right. So we call it a we call it a a, a strong cities network. And on September 29th, which was Tuesday of last week, Loretta Lynch, the department, uh, the AG of the Department of Justice, sits in New York City in the United Nations headquarters. The fact that we have a UN headquarters in New York City should make our heads spin to begin yeah. with. But we have a UN headquarters in New York City. She sits before them and announces that the United States will now be part of this strong cities network so that we can provide uh, a unified global effort to pool resources and create regulations and programs from a global experience to react to a global problem. So we thought federal funding of our local police force was bad enough. Now we're going to get UN funding of our local governments with UN control and strings attached. We have Denver who has signed up for this already. We have Minneapolis who has signed up for this. We have New York that has signed up for this. Four cities in the United States who have, uh, whose mayors have signed up already for this strong cities network, just waiting for the global money to pour into their communities. Yeah. And global money means global strings. How many people, Sheila, do you think in this country, realistically, would ever allow Congress to sign on to the UN Arms Treaty? Realistically, I don't think it would come up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it would happen. And I think that's why it doesn't really come up. Every year, Congress is presented with the UN Arms uh, Small Arms Treaty for, for uh, consideration. And every year, it is completely disregarded. It's it's not something that the people would ever I mean, my family are Democrats and they would never they would never submit to something like that. How many massacres does this guy have to orchestrate in order to get people to give up their guns here though, Chrisanne? Yeah, they're gonna do it through this global police force initiative, just like the federal government does to our governments, our, our local governments already. The UN is gonna say, Okay, if you take our money, if you take our joint training, if you take our information, then you have to apply our regulations on the local level. And your counties will engage in the small arms treaty regulations without ever having it go through Congress at all. So a complete end run. This is a backdoor approach here. Yeah, absolutely. And it will happen in such a slow and methodical way, uh, again, through these, these areas of crises, that the people uh, will be cheering it on. I mean, think about it. I always tell people this, one of the scariest days in the history of America was the Boston bombing. It was the three days after when our local law enforcement marched down our streets, looking like they were marching down the streets of Baghdad, ripping our people from their homes without warrants in fear. But was even scarier than that was the people cheering them on. Yeah. See, we live in a state of fear because we're disarmed and we can't protect ourselves. So we are dependent upon government for our security. Well, we have terrorists, Chris. Come on, we've got to do something here. We have these terrorist threats. I mean, it's not bad enough that we 
have a draconian military on the streets of America, but desensitizing people to the MRAPs, the militarized police. You've now got rumors surfing about a second set of massive military prepared drills, this Operation Red Flag, you've got Jade Helm, you know, you've got all these things always on the horizon, Operation, you know, Red List, Blue List, One Fish, Two Fish, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss meets Twilight Zone here, because it's dissident extractions, and there's secret trees to seed seven states to Mexico, I mean, it's just one big globally orchestrated psyops here, isn't it? Well, you know, I was military intelligence and uh, when I was in the army. And so I learned a few things that I was in there that was in there. And I believe that the whole purpose of Jay Helm was was not to engage in training, but to engage in, in a sort of psyops to uh, one of the, the greatest source. I was uh, I was in um, a signal intelligence uh, units. And so one of the greatest sources of, of intelligence is not simply to have control of the people, but to listen to the chatter. And so what would happen is our government would fly, uh, you know, sort of dangerously close to the Russian border. And then it's not really a maneuver to train in the Russian borders, but it's a maneuver to see who is talking about the flyby. And so you can track the conversations and then you know who to listen to. And so I believe that's what Jade Helm was all about. It was about tracking who's talking about Jade Helm and seeing who's going to listen. Because remember, the Department of Justice, in an official Department of Justice document, which is being used to train our Department of Defense, stated that the real threat in America of terrorism are homegrown terrorists who believe that the federal government is acting unconstitutionally, that use terms like liberty and sovereignty, who who believe that the federal government will take our rights. They are pro-life people, and they are anti-amnesty people. This is published. This is not tinfoil. This is published in their documents. We have copies of slides from people who have attended the training, who are outraged by this. And uh, so what the government is doing is listening to the chatter. Who are these potential seditionists, right? Constitutional people who love liberty and, and hate government and believe that the states are superior to the federal government. Who are these people? Because these are the ones that we have to watch when our UN Global Police Initiative becomes uh, the ruling force in America. Let's round up those liberty-loving dissidents, right? Because let's face it, it's all, mm-hmm. this is built into the, the gun owners too, because it's, look at Hillary the other day saying, you know, we've got to toughen up against the NRA. We've got to come back and fight even harder than these pro-Second Amendment people are some kind of a plague because they support their constitutional freedoms and liberties. That is outrageous. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I mean, this is the way government operates. You have to isolate and you have to marginalize. You have to make people fringe who are for limited government. The exact same thing that George III did to our framers. The interesting thing is when you reread the writings of those days, George III had control over the media. And our framers were called everything in the book but good Christian men and women. You know, I, I see that 
the way people who appear to stand for liberty when the first movement of the Tea Party came out were completely ostracized. And, and I mean, look at the way Sarah Palin was portrayed in the media and was, was viciously attacked even by, by establishment Republicans. Sure. Well, when we look at history, Sheila, the women of our revolutionary period, wow, the way the colonial loyalists and the British government treated those women would make Sarah Palin's treatment look like a walk through the park. Yes. And and I don't I don't mean to be offensive in my speech Sheila, but these women were not simply just called names and had nasty pictures drawn about them. They were hunted. They were raped by government officials. This is all fact. This is this is in history. And yet we don't think about that because, number one, we don't teach the history about these women. We have to teach that they were irrelevant and oppressed, scared little church mice that never said boo. Uh, when in reality, these women suffered greatly and fought more bravely than many of the men did in that day. We really do have a really incredible shift happening with this movement of feminism. You've got Gloria Steinem up there with, I had an abortion. That's a proud thing. You've got feminists peeing their pants this week in support of rape. Did you see this thing on Facebook? Feminists are, I mean, it is just morphing into insanity here, Chris, with so-called feminism. This is frightening what women have become. And, you know, men won't take a position. We've got a lot of these little metrosexual, effeminate men. I don't know if it's too much estrogen in the water or fluoridation or these GMO frankenfoods. I don't know what it is. But this is really frightening what our men have become. We don't have strong, no, godly men anymore. And I really think the women, these feminist women, I mean, get serious. There's no really liberty-loving, red-blooded, American, God-loving women that are really standing up. Well, I know two on this phone today. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I'm a woman, and I don't believe that it's a matter of women's right to have their birth control taken care of. Yeah. And, and if the liberals want us out of their bedroom, then they should have to stop making us pay for it, right? Yeah. And uh, this is not about equal rights. It's about being a grown-up. It's about being responsible for your own behavior and responsible for your own life choices. It's about pulling up, not peeing in them, but pulling up your big girl <laughs> panties and being an adult and stop asking me to pay for your immorality. And so what is the difference? The difference is exactly what uh, Samuel Adams said. We have become universally ignorant. We have become debauched in our manners, and ISIS is not our problem. We are our own problem. Ignorance is the biggest destroyer in America. And so, you know, we, we talk about George Orwell being a prophet, when he's not, not really a prophet, just a, a, a man of history and a study of human nature. The interesting thing is, I love this, because there's a, a little bit of history here that, that we don't understand uh, we, we have such an egocentric, arrogant view of ourselves, you know, because we have cell phones and you and I can talk to each other on Skype. And my husband and my son are on a mission trip to Haiti, but we can still see each other every single night and talk to each other. Right. And, and because we're we're technologically advanced, we somehow think that we're intellectually superior. And in a little bit of interesting history, um, most people are aware of the free love movement. Right. Right. 
But most people think that that was in the 1960s, when the truth is that the free love movement began in 1785. The free love movement began in 1785 with a woman by the name of Mary Wollenstonecraft, who wrote a book about the fiction of Mary. And Mary was a married woman who had become disenchanted with her marriage. She has an abusive husband, physically abusive husband. And she, and according to this book, she sought refuge in an extramarital affair. And that entire, that book sparked an entire free love movement in 1785 that was picked up and has become our modern day feminism. And the whole driving force, the whole basic foundational principle behind this free love movement and the fiction of Mary and Mary Wollstonecraft is this. That marriage, and this is what they published in their day at the turn of the 19th century, that marriage is the sole source of all physical and emotional pain in the world today. And that the only way that we can be relieved of this pain is to liberate women from, women from the bondage of marriage and their role in childbearing. So then this whole free love movement births Margaret Sanger, who then believes that we should engage in genocide to remove the black race from the planet through abortion. And the best way to do that is to use black pastors to do it. And forced sterilizations. I cover her in my book, Green Gospel, the New World Religion, this mm -hmm. religion of environmentalism. Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, and she said the greatest thing that parents could do with their newborn child is to kill it, Chris Ann. She really was a big proponent of forced sterilizations. And then, of course, her buddy there, Paul Ehrlich, he wrote The Population Bomb and talked about depopulation, forced sterilization. And his buddy, good old Obama's handpicked science czar John Holdren, co-wrote a book. So these are the kind of sociopathic psychopaths that we're dealing with here. Yeah, it's, it is insanity, but, but then it is just repeating the mechanisms of tyrannical government. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, the history that I told you that I teach. In 1641, there's a document which forms part of the British Constitution, which would become our American Constitution. It's a, called the Grand Remonstrance of 1641. And the preamble says the root of all this mischief we find to be a malignant and pernicious design subverting the fundamental laws and liberties of our kingdom. And basically what they're saying is, is we've been watching tyrannical government for about 600 years and we're noticing a pattern. And within that document, they identify the pattern and through a list of grievances against the king. Do you know what's amazing? One of the list of grievances is that the, go that the, the king, through the kingdom, is taking the land from the private landowners in the name of resource preservation, and I directly quote now, depopulation. So in 1641, they were f the government was forced in uh, depopulating the people when uh, we think maybe that the UN just invented that this year. That sounds eerily similar to a preamble to Agenda 21, doesn't it? Absolutely, because sustainable development is not actually sustainable development. It is sustainable control by the government over the people. And it's the same bag of tricks that tyrannical government has always used. And King Charles I was doing it from 1628 to 1641. 
Absolutely. Well, let's think about this for a minute. What they want to do, and they have been doing this very progressively, calling for dramatically increasing urbanization, forcing populations out of rural areas into these densely populated, massive megacities, controlling every area of your life. And then you couple that with these very benevolent kinds of phrases, sustainable development, eco-friendly. It sounds good until you really scratch the surface. It's always for the common good, the greater good, the moral imperative. And you talked about Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams had a great quote, and he said, How strangely will the tools of a tyrant pervert the plain meaning of words. It's not regular weather. It's climate change, climate crises, climate disruption, global warming. I mean, every week they're putting a new spin on a term to make it sound how they want with these abhorrent euphemisms. Well, you know, my background, uh, I'm an attorney now, but my background is in biochemistry. So I'm always laughing at that sort of understanding. And Science doesn't support that. Scientists support that, but science doesn't support that. And when we understand that the planet Pluto is going through the same weather patterns, the same (laughs) warming patterns that we are, the same climate change patterns as we are, we we see how ridiculous that is. I suppose maybe all the the gas that our cows emit and all the SUVs on Pluto are, are causing that as well. They have to change the terminology because because we are able to defeat the lies. They called it global warming. But now we understand that the planet is not in a warming cycle. It's in a chilling cycle. Yeah. And so now it's not global warming anymore because the, the physical evidence doesn't support that. we got to call it climate change. Oh, now it's climate disruption. That's the new buzzword. Mm, Well, wonderful. If you want to really know why there is climate disruption, climate change or whatever, you need to talk about solar disruption and solar change because it's the sun that it goes through cycles and it's emission of radiation throughout the solar system is what changes the climates. That's why Pluto is going undergoing the same climate changes that we are. And every other planet is going to do that because of the solar emissions. We are in a solar cooling cycle, which creates a cooling cycle on the planets and so just sort of point people to the real truth well the sun is the main driver of all of this climate change and ironically al gore and this is admitted on record he said at a un conference there is a cooling trend in the last 17 years but the reason that there's global cooling is because of global warming. So there you have it, Chris. (laughs) Circular (laughs) logic. I mean, are you surprised at the level of dumbing down that's happening with our children? No, absolutely not, because we put government in charge of teaching them. The only way government can rule and reign on over us is if we're if we're fundamentally ignorant and debauched in our in our manners. We actually are raised to believe that government is is what knows best. And here's the sad thing, right? Because we have this global police initiative that's going to globalize our local government law enforcement. But now we have everybody discussing this TPP because we get to look at it for the next 90 days. I mean, how fundamentally offensive would that be that the government for seven years has been creating a trade agreement that the people can only look at for 90 days? Our framers have to be like spinning in their graves. But 
just like the Global Police Force Initiative will bring in all of this gun control and all of these international security measures, TPP will bring in all of these international regulations. It is a complete abdication of authority to foreign law. So think about this. This is a, an agreement, okay? It's from the very onset, completely and totally unconstitutional. There is absolutely no constitutional authority within the federal government to create international agreements. Because basically all this is, is an international executive order. National yeah. executive orders are completely un unconstitutional and, and international ones are even more so. And so what we have is this completely unconstitutional process, which was passed with the TPA by Congress again, uh, delegating, uh, abdicating congressional power to the to the executive branch again. But now we are making uh, and I think we need to really look at this from very basic building block perspective. We are creating a trade agreement with 12 separate countries, which will now be interpreted using 12 sets of foreign law. How are we ever going to know what it is that we're actually getting into until we actually get into it, right? Because you can't know the bill until you read the bill. And in this case, you uh, uh, until you pass the bill. And in this case, we will never, ever know the re full ramifications of TPP until we pass it and we're in the middle of it and we're stuck with 12 different countries telling us how to run our stuff. Yeah. TPP, only six of the 30 chapters have anything to do with trade. The other 24 chapters have to do with imposing foreign regulations on um, American corporations and American individuals. This trade agreement will make it against the law for uh, Americans to promote American-only purchases. So if your company believes in purchasing American only and advertises and all that stuff, that will now be illegal because according to TPP, you must have free trade with foreign governments in an equal footing with American companies. Now, here's the kicker. TPP in its 24 extra chapters creates legal immunity to foreign companies that American companies do not enjoy. You got it. Which means we're going to now be transferring all of our American resources, all our American companies to foreign company countries to actually avoid the legal and to, to be shielded from legal liability. But not only that, think about this. This TPP agreement will not simply bind us, but every government in the United States, federal, state, and local, who do any bidding for government contractors, these government contract positions will now have to be equally open to foreign companies and foreign governments to receive our tax dollars and engage in our government contracting. And they will be able to underbid every single American contractor in the United States because of these liability immunities and their cheap labor. You know, it's the ultimate form of totalitarianism here, Chris. It's complete control, the TPP. Look back to NAFTA, CAFTA. America got the shafta, really. That's what happened here. Where is our sovereign duty come in here? I mean, what's the, what's the answer to all this, Chris, in the waning moments? 
Well, you know, it's interesting you use that collocation of terms, sovereign duty. That's the name of my book, Sovereign Duty. And that's uh, exactly why it's called that, because what I do in my Sovereign Duty book is I show you the plan that our framers put inherent in our constitutional republic, not by my words, but I, I give you their own words on exactly what we should be doing and how we should be behaving. They anticipated this. They anticipated that we would become uh, pacified in prosperity, that we might become lazy in our luxury. And so they gave us this constitutional republic and they gave us a plan to get the federal government back under control. And that's what my sovereign duty book uh, will, will help people understand. It's not something that we can cover in this show, which is why I wrote the book. And it, what we need to understand is what is state sovereignty and what is the contract and how do how do states act in a sovereign way? What role does the sheriff have in all of this? Uh, what role does local government have in all of this? What are the facts about an Article 5 convention and, and our right to keep and bear arms and our right to resist government when it operates unconstitutionally? And so that's what I hoped to impart to the people and sort of spark a real movement of people who are now willing to stand up and do what's necessary because they are infused with the knowledge to do so. Well, you just nailed it. Infused with the knowledge. Chris, I could spend hours with you. Just in the waning moments here, (laughs) give out your website for the people where they can not only get in contact with you, but where they can get this incredibly important book. And of course, you have other books that you've written. But this is really important that we get back to our roots. You're right, our founding fathers laid this out. Chris, how can people get a hold of you? Well, my website is chrisannhall.com. And on the on the website, they can link up to my radio show. I do five days a week. I'm actually syndicated in the United States, Canada, and in UK. There are terrestrial stations that carry me. There are internet stations that carry me all over the world, and uh, you can you can find the the uh, archives of my shows on the website. I have articles. I have videos books. I have all kinds of resources to help re-educate the people on the truths of liberty. Also, I just want people to know that I do travel the country and teach. I teach about 265 times in over 22 states every single year. And you can request a speaking engagement with your group, your school, high school, middle school, your college, your civics group, your state legislators, your sheriff's offices, your churches, uh, and invite me to be a speaker at, at these places. And understanding that I have no speaking fees. Uh, We operate by faith and uh, we allow people to donate to help the movement and we sell the books. And so no group has to compensate me for my travel or my expenses unless they want to, because we want to make sure that we have this education readily available. I don't want anybody to say, I can't afford to have Chrisanne come teach. And the real question is, what is it costing us to remain ignorant? Absolutely. What is it costing us to remain ignorant? Knowledge is key. And people say America was the last bastion of freedom. It was the first and only bastion of freedom. It's the greatest country in the world. I think what you said in the beginning Mm -hmm. is true. It still can be. But it really comes down to we the people. I always say government doesn't tell us what to do. We tell them. And we do have some sovereign duty here. And I really encourage people to get that book, get a hold of Chris Ann. And God bless you for what you do, Chris. And I hope you do come back and see us soon. 
Oh, anytime, Sheila. It has been a real delight to have this conversation with you. You are an amazing host. Hostess. <laughs> Was that sexist? Sorry. We want to be politically correct, Tara. Come on now. <laughs> Again, it's been a real treat, Chris. Do come back and see us soon. Super. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. Folks, that was Chris Ann Hall. Her information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com for the Friday, October 9th bio. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast. There's no show Monday. We'll see you Tuesday. Good night and God bless.